When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like... Whoa. And... Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it. Because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to recap a victory for the Giants in week four, 20 to 12 over the Bears. They improved to three and one in their first four games and they take two of three on a three-game homestand that just wrapped up and now they turn their attention to the Packers in the London meeting, which will be coming your way this Sunday. We'll get into that and a whole lot more and multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can also find us on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. A reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So, Paul, a lot to unravel from this game because, A, I think it played out how the majority of us laid things out leading into the contest. We figured this was going to be a grinded-out, low-scoring affair, both teams leaning much more so on the ground attack then the aerial attack, and the numbers are overwhelmingly in favor on both sides, by the way, not just the Giants, the ground attack. The Giants ran the ball 44 times compared to 16 pass attempts. The Bears 32 times compared to 22 pass attempts. I'll give the Bears some credit because they did air it out a little bit with Justin Fields and probably had one of their most productive games with at least explosive plays through the air, especially getting Darnell Mooney going. But there just there weren't that many back-breaking, damaging plays by the Bears to put them over the hump and especially allow them to convert in the red zone. But before we get into what the Giants' defense did, let's highlight the rushing attack. Another really strong performance, not just by Saquon Barkley, but, Paul, an entire team effort with the quarterbacks in and out of the lineup. They had the Wildcat formation going, that stretch where Barkley got direct snaps. They got positive yardage on all those plays. Matt Breida had a 13-yard run. I would argue that may have been one of the critical plays of the game, Mm -hmm. really, to help them continue that drive. But I looked at the numbers, and, you know, I tally the rushing totals, not just the average yardage per carry, but the positive yardage. And how many runs were for five yards or more or 10 yards or more? 20 runs, Paul, for five yards or more. Eight for 10 yards or more. Clearly, season highs in both categories, but two runs for negative one yards. That's it. 
only two negative runs. And that, to me, is maybe the most important takeaway that when they were pounding the football, they were moving forwards. They were not allowing the Bears to get into the backfield. There's a lot to unpack in what you said, Lance, but I'm going to start with your last comment. I think last year and the year before and the year before that, you could have picked any quarter on any given Sunday and seen Giants running backs get hit more behind the line in one quarter than they have in one month of this season combined. I don't think anybody would disagree with your sentiments. Crystal clear on that. And that probably is the biggest physical difference between these offenses of the last several years. That's physical. Schematic, we know we know it's an entirely different playbook. We know that Barkley's health is a lot different. We know that Daniel Jones's maturity and growth is a lot different. But just physically, physically the bottom line is this offensive line is so much better in the run game, particularly. Pass game, they still got some issues they got to deal with. But in the run game, the talent and performance level is miles ahead of where it was. And as we all know in Football 101, if you win the trenches, you give yourself a chance to win. And that's why this team is 3-1 and one right now. Because, Lance, they have done a marvelous job of holding up in the trenches and doing what they have to do. Remember, when you can run while the other team knows it's coming, that's that's the true test. The Giants did not win the trenches against Dallas, and despite what I think they did, a lot of mental mistakes and kind of, you know, they threw that game away, they didn't win the trenches. And, and that is as good a reason as any to lose a game. But the other three games, even against Tennessee, they did enough. They were able to run when they wanted to run. And that that's the true test of a team that can stay in it. And even in the Dallas game, they ran the ball effectively. I still would say I agree with you. Dallas dominated in the trenches. No dispute there, but they still had 167 yards and averaged mm-hmm. nearly seven yards a carry. So the existence of the rushing attack, Paul, has been front and center whether they win a game or they lose a game. You could say, okay, hey, the Giants can hang their hat on. They know they go into every game feeling good about the ability to pound the football. And I think what you said as your last point is so critical because we've been watching a few games and the passing attack leaves a lot to be desired. And may that may not even be putting it in justice terms in terms of the extremely modest numbers. And if you go up against a really good defensive-minded team that can actually slow down the Giants' rushing attack, it's going to be tough sledding for the Giants to even get 20 points. But no team has been able to show that they can take away the element of the run. So even though the Giants are not lighting things up through the air, they figure they could stay in some manageable third downs, they could put together some lengthy drives, and that will keep their head above water. And I think that's been so critical. And once again, I think you got to give the coaching staff a lot of credit. Yes. You lose quarterbacks. You have to adjust on the fly. Brian Dable even talked about this, Paul, in his postgame presser. He gets the grease board out. They were handing him iPads. He was like, I don't want technology. Give me the old school. Because it was really an old school game. And they're drawing up plays. Now, granted, Barkley pointed out in the Carolina game, they ran a little wildcat. So I don't want to paint the picture as if 
they were throwing things out there that weren't practiced or weren't in the playbook. It's just that I don't think they were banking on, Paul, having to implement <laughs> that, right, given what transpired with Tyrod yeah. Taylor and Daniel Jones. So the fact that on the fly they had to expand it and they executed it and Barkley and company read the defense good, you know, that to me is a sign of adjustments and also the involvement of the tight ends and the effectiveness of – faking the handoffs in the rushing attack, Paul, what that did in the first half to open things up slightly in the passing game. Bellinger on one pass was wide open because the entire Bears defense went one way, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, Bellinger has the entire opposite side of the field to become his playground. So it was the execution and the adjustment that I think also allowed the rushing attack and to a slight extension, the passing attack to flourish. All right. So let me be consistent here and say that I'm not a huge fan of Daniel Jones running as much as he does, even though he ran for two touchdowns yesterday. And that was critical to the Giants winning the game. It, it, it still turns my stomach to see him running as much on design plays as he has been. But having said that, the execution was outstanding. The ball fakes by Jones. Look, the two best ball faking quarterbacks I've ever seen, Lamar Jackson and Donovan McNabb, they executed the ball fakes on, on play actions and RPOs and keepers and boots better than any quarterbacks I'd ever seen. Daniel Jones yesterday was pretty damn magical with his ball fakes. And it really worked wonders. I mean, even the one long touchdown run he had, the entire Bears defense was going the other way. Yep. So, so let's talk about that for a second. And then let's add in, okay, Tanner Hudson. Oh, my God. The Giants, you know, picked this guy up, and nobody knows him from Adam. And he threw key blocks on both of Daniel Jones's touchdowns yesterday, including one down near the goal line. That was the final defender that had to get knocked out of the play for Jones to sneak into the pylon area. Uh, just, you know, I don't want to just give credit to the offensive line here. I want to make sure I credit the tight ends. Uh, I want to credit the receivers, too. They've done some nice blocking downfield. But to go back to the formation of what the Giants have been running out of, we saw a ton of of two tight end and three tight end sets yesterday. Now, why is that important? Well, I've said it on the show before. I said it on my WFAN podcast, and I will continue to hammer it home until people finally get it. Football 101. Run the ball, be physical, pound it. You don't have to play video game football to win in this league. And what Dable and Kafka came here with a reputation of being fancy, passing-oriented video game schematics. What have they done? They looked and they said, hey, based on what we've got working for us today, that's not the smartest way to go. We need to rely on what we know we can do and what we know we have. Let's go turn the clock back and go to old-school, pounded-out power football. Abandon the three and four receiver sets in the empty backfields Go with two and three tight ends. Go with the fullback, and they played Myrick a lot at fullback yesterday, and just ram it. And I give this coaching staff a tremendous amount of credit for having the smarts to do it and for having the guts to do it when you know that it's in their blood to be fancy. You know that, Lance. They've sure. shown it everywhere they've been. 
And they decided to say, no, 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 no. We are going to slug it out because that's the best way for us to win the game. I can't tell you how many props I give to this coaching staff for another sensational job yesterday. And, oh, one other thing. Dable drawn the plays up on the sideline, on the the, the, uh, grease board, reminded me of Steve Spagnuolo, who back during – the first of Coughlin's two Super Bowl seasons in 20, uh, 2007. There were many a times that I was on the sideline behind the bench, and Spags would be talking to his guys, Tuck and O.C. and Antonio Pierce and Kavika Mitchell and those guys, and he would be taking his hand and he'd be drawing stuff up in the dirt right there in front of the bench, drawing stuff up with his fingers in the dirt. And that's what Dable reminded me of yesterday. We're going to play street ball. We're going to go old school. Forget technology. Forget computers. Forget all the fancy stuff. This is hat on hat. This is what we're going to do. Let's draw it up at the street corner. You make sure you're at the garbage can. You make sure you're over there by the street light. You're over there by the, the, the postal box. And, uh, and you're over there by the uh, bus stop. And this is how we're going to do it. And I, just, I, I, I had flashbacks to Spags, and it was just a thrill to see. And this is why, by the way, your head coach and your rookie head coach should not be the offensive coordinator because he needs to oversee the biggest picture during the course of the game. He should not be tied up with that, you know, friendlies ice cream restaurant menu stuck in front of his face where he's thinking nonstop about the next play that's going to be called or what's going to happen on the next series. No, no. Your head coach needs to be a CEO so that he oversees the game, and when there's an emergency, he can take the bull by the horns and fix it. I cannot tell you enough how impressed I was with how Dable and his folks handled that game. Now, some guys can effectively do both, but in this case, Dable has empowered his assistants, and yes, it's given him the flexibility that he could delegate and look at the big picture because he even mentioned when Daniel got hurt, he noticed he was limping. He told Daniel, I'm not putting you back in. Tyrod's going in, but he was then thinking ahead in the event Tyrod gets hurt, would you be available if we needed you to hand off and just orchestrate the offense? So little things like that. Certainly extremely observant, and I think, yes, it does help the fact that he doesn't have to think about just the offensive play calling that Kafka at least can take that off of his plate. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. As far as the tight end usage, just to give you an idea about snap count, all of them were in anywhere between 57% and 63% of the snaps. You had Hudson, he played 57%, Bellinger at 60%, Myrick at 63%. So they spread the wealth across the board with the three tight ends. And as you mentioned, I think the philosophy coming in, Paul, was, well, we've got Kadarius Tony, we've got Wandell Robinson, Sterling Shepard. We have these guys that are elusive, Saquon we can get involved. I think they wanted to certainly get the passing game involved more. I don't think if you ask Dable and Kafka four weeks into the season, you're going to be running wildcat formations, you're going to go heavy tight ends, you're going to be pounding the football. Not to say that they didn't think they could do that, but I don't think that that was what they were favoring going in. Oh, I, think I, that, I agree with you, but isn't that the beauty of it? Of course, to they, adapt. Their inclination yeah. was not to do this, 
if at any time I said to you in August, the Giants are going to have a game where they run the ball 44 times, you're going to say, Paul, that is not likely. I'll take the under. Of course. Yeah. Now, I could see that maybe run in the high 20s, and then maybe you involve the running backs and the wide receivers with screens, meaning it doesn't necessarily have to be all down the field stuff, but at least give those guys an opportunity to get out in open space and do their thing. The problem is all of those players I just named, they're unavailable. So he doesn't have his magic tricks up his sleeve. That's why he had to now say, all right, we're going to play to our strengths. We're going to go with the bigger personnel. We know the Bears understand that we're going to run. But in fairness, Chicago has not been good in stopping the run. They were giving up over 157 rushing yards. And I think the Bears knew the Giants were going to run the ball. And as you mentioned, when your opponent knows you're going to run and you could still have success, you know that is a big bright spot. So the Giants, they knew they wanted to run. They knew they had to run. And despite that, defense could not stop them. Now, on the flip side, I want to turn our attention to the Giants' defense because to me, Paul, there were opportunities for the Bears to make this game even closer to comfort for the Giants. They had three red zone opportunities. A number of them came early in the game. I mean, they were getting down into the teens of the Giants' territory, and the Giants' defense held them 0-3 for in the red zone. That was significant because they got down there as a result of, once again, Justin Fields taking some chances down the field. And he finally was able to connect with Darnell Mooney. Also, there was a third and 20 where the Bears converted. And, you know, that I thought was some of the rough patches for the Giants defense. I'm not going to take anything away from this unit, but there were a few plays that clearly they would like back. A third and 10, the Bears converted as well. The third down stoppage, very mixed results in that department. But I think Dexter Lawrence used this term when he spoke to the media after the game. I don't love it. It's a cliched line, but I think it holds some validity for this game. The bend but don't break philosophy, right? They bent, the Bears bent the Giants defense a little bit. But when it was crunch time in the red zone, the Giants defense restructured, regrouped, and made sure that they didn't break. And they said to the Bears, fine, you guys could continue to settle for field goals and we'll take it from here. And the Giants defense, here's where they also deserve credit. Richie James, muff punt. You gave the Bears excellent field position. Giants defense held that to a field goal. And then, of course, the Bears had a muff punt, which was their golden opportunity to maybe have one last shot to drive down the field, tie the game with a two-point conversion. But here we go again. I'm going to bring back special teams and what Thomas McGahee said, Paul, and I brought this up on the postgame show. What did he say about Jamie Gillen? Left-footed punter, different spin. Mm-hmm. Kyle Phillips, rookie wide receiver for Tennessee. Mm-hmm. First taste of the NFL, could not handle that. Now Velas Jones, rookie wide receiver for the Bears, makes his debut. I think the spin played a role. I know it was windy. I know it was wet. But I think that spin, for guys that have, haven't been in the NFL, have not experienced that, I think it's a bit of a rude awakening. So the Giants are two for two in that department when it comes to rookie-wide receivers fielding kicks and punts. I would agree. And by the way, when you talk about the bend but don't break, don't forget the big play on the strip sack by Old Jolari yep. and the fumble recovery by Thibodeau. That, that was also an opportunity that the Bears would have possibly had to put some points on the board or at least a field goal and it was thwarted uh, by, by the takeaway. So, you know, look, I, I, I can't say enough about this coaching staff. I just can't. This, the schematics have just been marvelous. And for the most part, the players have executed them. And that's why uh, they're 3-1 and one at this standpoint. I, I would add one other thing that I thought was very, very telling, uh, Lance. And, you know, I mentioned it heavily during the pregame show. Uh, Jalen Smith 
who was not activated because he hadn't gotten really enough reps during the few days he was here for the Dallas game. I still believe he might have helped make a difference because his ability to read and stuff gaps by coming downhill to fill rushing lanes between the tackles, that is his forte. That is what he does right now in terms of at this stage of his NFL career. And what did he do yesterday? 35 snaps, six solos and an assist, and a tackle for a loss. You, I mean, talk about efficiency. 35 snaps, seven total combined tackles. Um, and they weren't like 10 yards downfield either, okay? He attacks the line of scrimmage. Well, that's his strength. That's right? what he does. I mean, that's his game. And, and, and I really thought that he would be an X factor to help mitigate the loss of Leonard Williams in the front as the Bears planned to try to run as much as they possibly could. And even though Fields had 50 on his own and they ran for about a buck 50 as a team, their running game did not control the tempo or the flow of this game yesterday. And I think that Jalen Smith was a big part of that. I, I give him a lot of credit. Well, they had coming in, Paul, 18 runs of 10 or more yards. Herbert was responsible for half of them. He had nine, and Herbert had a nice game. And like you said, the Bears' rushing numbers, you were right around five yards a carry. You're happy if you're the Bears' coaching staff, but they didn't have multiple damaging 10-plus-yard runs or a 20- to 25-yard run. Herbert's longest run was 15, and Fields' longest run was 16. Mm -hmm. So they had some flashes here or there, but... If you go back to that Texans game, Herbert was just carving well, out space they all for throughout that game. Yeah, so that was the biggest difference. Okay, you gave up run plays, but you didn't give up the wrecking type of run. They were inconsequential is really what it comes down to. Yeah. Because they were not as impactful with the run game as they certainly wanted to be. The Bears, that is. Now, just real quickly in terms of one other aspect that I think the Giants do need to clean up is special teams is having its mixed results here, Paul. And it's not just coverage and turnovers. It's the penalties. They had multiple penalties on special teams, and one allowed the Bears to get a re-kick where they actually had mm -hmm. plus 18 in mm -hmm. field position. So those are the things. The reason why that needs to be cleaned up is it gets very dangerous, and it didn't come back to bite them here. But when you go up against a Bears team that struggles offensively, no, has not lit up the scoreboard, 18 yards of gained field position could be the difference of an additional field goal. And if you're playing a 15-12 game, 17-14 game, who knows? Maybe you go to overtime under those circumstances. And what I'm pointing out is when you start to play the Packers and the Ravens and you're going up against far more experienced quarterbacks who are efficient on offense, you give them 18 yards of field position, those teams are going to punch it in. And your defense can't come to the rescue all the time. So that's where the special team stuff needs to be cleaned up. Right now, it hasn't come back to bite them so much because the defense has been able to hold their own against some of these lesser offensive efficient teams. Now, all of a sudden, Green Bay, Baltimore, Jacksonville, we're upping the ante over these next three contests. You know what, Lance? When this game was still in the balance from the mid part of the third quarter into the uh, fourth, the Giants' defense threw three three-and-outs and then one four-play and a punt drive at the Bears' offense because they're a challenged offense. Yep. To your point, okay, that's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen 
against much better offensively skilled teams. So we can talk all we want about, yeah, the Giants defense did what they had to do to maintain the control of the game. But but the Bears are a challenged team. If the Giants are middleweights, well, guess what? The Bears are welterweights. This is a team the Giants should have beaten, should have taken care of, and probably should have beaten even more handily than they did. But at least they won, and they did the basic things that they had to do. Average start field position, Giants 22-yard line, Bears 26-yard line. Field position obviously did not come into play yesterday. But if special teams continues to have a momentary breakdown here or there against better offenses, that is going to prove fatal. There's really no other way to talk about it. Before we move on and open up the phone lines, I don't want to bury the lead, and that is unfortunately this win did come at a cost, Paul, because there are a lot of injuries and really all across the board. So let's just quickly go over that. Clearly, Daniel Jones is dealing with the ankle injury. He's going to go for further testing, but the good news was it wasn't as if he was wearing a boot or anything after the game, but then again, things sometimes a day later or two could change things. So cautious optimism with respect to Daniel Jones. Tyrod Taylor's in concussion protocol. The team announced that, so he's going to have to go through the various phases of protocol and then be cleared by partially an independent individual. Then in the secondary, Julian Love is dealing with a concussion. Aaron Robinson left with a knee injury. You're already thin in the secondary because Cordell Flott didn't play yesterday because of the calf issue. Kenny Galladay dealing with a knee issue. Then you lost Evan Neal due to a neck injury. So that opens the door for perhaps questions at right tackle. And Glowinski missed part of the game. Thankfully, he returned. He had an ankle issue, but you had to then move guards around. So the bottom line is, covered a lot of territory, Paul, with all of these injuries. Clearly, the biggest looming question mark right now is at quarterback. Can Daniel get ready to play the London game? But even if Daniel can play, and Tyrod Taylor, you figure, is more on the iffy side, right? Because concussion protocol, you can't guarantee he's going to be able to return in time. The priority of having extra insurance at quarterback is certainly a fair question to pose as they navigate the roster. Well, Here's what I would do today based on minimal knowledge, okay? And I'm going to assume a couple of things here. I will assume that Tyrod Taylor is not only in concussion protocol, but will be there for the rest of the week. I will assume that. Uh, I don't know anything, okay? I don't. Please. Dable's not talking to the media till 4 o'clock today. So let's get that part out of the way. Taylor is in protocol the Giants are leaving for London on Thursday night. I just think the odds are very, very long Quick that he'll around. be cleared, yeah. right? Okay. I'm with you. So Davis Webb is going to come up from the practice squad. I think that's a very safe assumption. Yep. Had himself a really nice preseason. In fact, was all pro preseason this past summer, I they think. They gave out those awards? I didn't even realize that. That's good to know. Well, it's unofficial, but I think <laughs> okay. we can, no, I think I we can go there. I wasn't aware of that, so I'm glad that we at least clarified that. I think we can go there. Now... Here's what the Daniel Jones issue is, and we talked about it during the postgame show. You get swelling in the joints that are injured for long plane rides. This is just something that happens. Now, the Giants will treat him as much as they possibly can before they go on Thursday. But Daniel Jones is still going to have to navigate something like this, this sprained ankle, during the course of the latter part of the week as they approach the game. 
He talked himself into a game against the Arizona Cardinals two years ago at MetLife Stadium coming off of a sprained ankle. And how did that go? He didn't play well at all. He didn't throw the ball well. He was unable to run. The Cardinals teed off on him and really gave him a nasty time in the pocket. It was to the Giants' detriment. But he he got the medical clearance, but medical clearance doesn't mean it's the best thing for the team. He got medical clearance and talked Joe Judge into playing him, starting him and playing him right when it came down to the hour and a half before game time. It was game time decision, and and he played and played poorly. I don't know if Dable will allow Daniel Jones to talk him into the game, even if the medical staff clears him. I just don't know the answer to that because I don't know Brian Dable enough to say he's going to shut the player down or he's willing to be bendable and listen to the player's plea because you know Daniel Jones will want to play. I think well, he we didn't both listen agree. to his pleas, though, in fairness, during the game yesterday, right? He did he not. He told him, hey, Tyrod's going in because I see you limping. Now, that doesn't mean that that's going to influence what he decides on Sunday. Right. I didn't mean to cut you off, Paul, but no, I think you're right. we got a little bit of a glimpse of that yesterday. I, I lean in that direction, but I just don't know. I think that's the fairest way I can I can describe it. So here's what I'm thinking right now. If it's me and someone said, what's the scenario? I say Davis Webb gets activated. Davis Webb starts the game in London. And Daniel Jones, if he's cleared, is the number two only to be put into the game in an emergency if Davis Webb has to come out of the game. That's probably how I would approach it. Because uh, the alternative, if Jones is not available and they are forced to scratch him, well, now you got to bring another quarterback back in because you know Taylor's not going to be there. So now I guess Brian Lewerke, who was here during the summer, probably would have to come back to the practice squad for a potential activation on Saturday to be available as the number two quarterback. Uh, other than that, I guess the other option, and I don't know that I really love it, would be to tell Davis Webb, you're the guy. Uh, Daniel Jones, guess what? We're going to put you down, and we'll just go wildcat for however long we have to if Davis Webb gets injured. That's the other option, I suppose. Well, something tells me Saquon's ready to be the emergency emergency <laughs> quarterback based on his limited You know the worst yesterday. part? Kadarius Tony is actually the other emergency quarterback. Yeah, but unfortunately, he's hurt. <laughs> that so, doesn't do you any good. Correct, it doesn't. Yeah, because if Tony's ready and back from the hamstring injury, then okay, maybe you feel as if you can go with Davis Webb, Daniel Jones, and then you have Tony in the event that, God forbid, those two guys can't go. But if you don't have Tony and you don't have Daniel and you don't have Tyrod Taylor, yeah, somebody else needs to be added. And Lewerke makes sense because he was here this offseason. I was going to throw out maybe Dable or Kafka entertain a former Bills or a Chiefs quarterback, but let's face it, they've made changes and they've evolved since they've left their two previous teams. So I don't know how much a former quarterback in those offenses would be able to catch on that quickly on mm -hmm. a short week, too. That's why Lewerke may make the most sense, because at least he was here during the course of the offseason. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
All right, Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here, Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. few reminders before we open up the lines. Join us Sunday, October 16th. Giants are going to host the Ravens. Team is going to celebrate Latino Heritage Month. It's presented by Ford. Arrive early to partake in several plaza activations, including food sampling, salsa dancing, live music, and celebrity artist DJ Camillo performing during pregame warm-ups and select times throughout the game. Limited tickets are available. You can visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat today. Also, the Giants' official connected TV streaming app, Giants TV, brings original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to Big Blue fans. So you can certainly check out Giants TV. Let's open up the lines here at 201-939-4513. We check in with Chris in Virginia. He gets us going here on Monday's BBKL. What's happening, Chris? Hey, what's going on, Lance and Paul? How you guys doing? Hi. Doing all right. What's on your mind? Great. Yeah, man, I just wanted to make some comments, man. Um, you know, it's it's winning is the cure. You know, like last season when we won four games, we're already at three and one. So that's beautiful. Coaching, every, all the points you guys made, which is spot on. Coaching matters. I mean, it's literally this team just seems prepared so much more than I've seen last year. The adjustments in game, defensive, offensive side, the guys really look like they're buying into the system. You know, just... It just seems like, you know, a big play's made. They're just not hanging their heads. They're just coming back fighting. Um, Bobby Johnson just looks like he's just a real deal, the O-line coach. I mean, these guys, you know, they're not doing anything too fancy. I'm seeing, I'm seeing just blocking guys in front of you, being strong at the point of attack, and just creating some a little bit of hole for Saquon to go through. I mean, that's just the identity of this, this O-line and this team. It just seems like the identity is just starting to form. And I'm really happy to see it. You know, I'm seeing mistakes, but I'm seeing growth week to week. And, I mean, shout out to Dexter Lawrence, man. He had, what, eight pressures yesterday? Is that correct? Eight and he pressures? had two sacks. He had two of the six sacks for the team. How about this? My he played in a career-high 94 snaps. I think he only missed, I mean, 94%. He missed only four snaps. That's a big man we're talking about. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that, I mean, he's, what is this, year? Uh, we got to resign the guy. I mean, you know, Leo's out, and he stepped up big yesterday. That is just fantastic. That's what we need, you know. Um, and Timon Fox, I think I saw him on the field. He, like, set the edge. We had, like, a a, a loss. Uh, the Bears had a lost run, like a lost uh, sack. What was it, like a um, – I think it was him, right? On the right side, it was – I can't remember what quarter yeah, Fox, it was. Yeah, Fox was in there for a little bit. Yeah, he played a yeah, few snaps yeah, yesterday. I, yeah, yeah, I saw him set the – I mean, this kid is is is, is just – He's, he's coming in, you know. He's going to get a little bit more playing time, put some good things on tape, and I think we can see him hopefully get some more snaps going forward. And um, I looked at the stats. I think Jalen Smith had, what, he played 50%. I, I think, personally, I do think that his presence helped take Crowder out yesterday, too, but because you got this veteran. He's decisive. He runs to that lane. And I think when you're standing next to somebody and you see them hitting that hole or hitting their lane and just playing – disciplined football, I think that also bleeds in. I think Tate Crowder had a way better game than he did last week. You guys agree with that? Well, keep in mind, Tate Crowder and Jalen Smith, and we were talking a little bit about this earlier, they're much better in terms of their ability to stop the run than putting them in coverage. And this was a game where it called for guys to 
charge to the line of scrimmage and stop the run. So the game plan, the reason why I think Jalen Smith was heavily involved is because Wink knew Jalen Smith is a good run stopper. We need guys to be able to stop the run because Chicago's not going to air it out. Whereas if this was a game where you were playing Dontrell Hilliard and Tennessee and they were putting Hilliard out as a receiver, I don't know if these two guys would have flourished because clearly they had their issues. Smith wasn't here, but Crowder was. So to me, it was taking their strengths, and utilizing that way because you knew the opposition was going to play out that way too. It is a kaleidoscope defense with many colors that can mix and match any which way in any combination at any time. This Wink Martindale is doing a very, very impressive job. Yes, he is. Absolutely. Um, And on that too, I think my last point, um, Fabian Monroe, Shout out to him as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the obvious ones is just Daniel Jones and, and Saquon. They just they did fantastic. But Fabian Moreau, I think that was him. It was in the red bears in the red zone, and they had that pass breakup right there on the uh, the left side. The, of the fingernail field. deflection where he kind of got his hand oh, in there at the end goodness. and knocked it away. Come yeah. on, man. That's, yeah, that was pretty you, good. You know, <laughs> you know, it's it's little things like that that I'm looking at that I'm like, you know, I know we have injuries and. I think this time last year, if we were seeing these mistakes happen, we'd be like, oh, we wasn't making that play at the red zone. You know, we're, when um, when Adorius gave up that big yardage, that pass to, um, I think it was Mooney. Mooney, I don't yeah. think we were recovered from that so well. But, you know, the defense kind of, they held their own. And so I'm like, I'm seeing the coach's adjustment. I'm seeing the players buy in. And, you know, the, going forward for the next week's, I'm not as worried if we don't have guys playing coming back because I believe the coaches and their schematics is just going to steam guys, and the guys just have to show up and do their job. And I'm just considering this season a win already, fellas. So that's all I have. Um, you know, right, thanks for guys what you guys do, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep listening. Take care. Appreciate the phone call. I think it also helps when you bring in veterans. I mean, the two players that we were just talking about, Jalen Smith's an experienced guy, and so is Moreau. Mm-hmm. So if you can throw them in on a shorter week where maybe they haven't been here that long, Wink has faith that if those guys are out on an island or, once again, Smith is a good run stopper, I feel confident he can handle himself. Whereas in the past, sometimes, Paul, they were relying on younger guys or call-ups from the practice squad who had nowhere near the level of experience. So I think... That's another big difference if you at least want to make the comparison between what we've seen execution-wise this year compared to maybe the last two or three years prior. There's one guy who doesn't fit that profile, though, Lance, and I guess we need to give him a pat on the back. Dane Belton. Holy smokes. He had very little practice time during the course of camp and the preseason. Very little. If you'll remember, he fractured his collarbone. Clavicle, yeah. He got very few reps of real practice time. And now all of a sudden, a couple of weeks in, he's activated, playing a bunch as the third safety. And then yesterday, Julian Love gets hit in the head, comes out, goes into game day concussion protocol. And Belton is now one of your two starting safeties. And in a lot of cases, playing the deep center field safety. And held up fine. Uh, Dane Belton, with very, very few seconds of pro practice time, has gotten to be a very important part of what they want to do in that secondary. To me, though, I would say that's a product, Paul, of what Iowa asked him to do. The fact that he was an extremely versatile player and they moved him around, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's as overwhelming for somebody like Belton to make the adjustment. Once again, 
limited experience. I'm with you, but if it's a player, for example, who played corner in college, and then all of a sudden Wink's like, all right, we're going to move you to safety because we lost Julian Love, I don't know if that player would be able to hold their, hold their well, own. I think with Belton, he's better prepared to make those adjustments. Probably better prepared than most, but the lights are bright in the pros. The speed is faster in the pros. And I can't tell you in these last couple of weeks a time where I thought he was so badly out of position that he busted a play. And Wink's playbook is not easy. Yeah. Well, and that's why I keep going back to Iowa. I don't think they would have empowered him in that hybrid role if, A, he wasn't a smart player, and, B, he couldn't handle it. And I think the Giants well, saw that during the scouting process. He's keeping Tony Jefferson off the field, right? Yeah. And we all thought that Tony Jefferson, when he arrived from Baltimore, being one of Wink's old guys, is probably going to have a bigger role on this team. But Belton, Belton is taking those snaps. He's keeping Jefferson out of the lineup. And that's good for the long-term future of the team because, let's face it, Belton is far more in their plans than Jefferson is anyway. So you should play sure. Belton more. Sure. Right? Nothing wrong with having Jefferson in the film room and the classroom to help, but Belton should be getting much more snaps than Jefferson. Let's head back to the lines. Walter is in Nebraska joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Walter? Hey, what's going on, fellas? Man? Hi. Uh, just want, hey, just wanted to give a call in, man. And, um, you know, I, I just uh, – I think the last caller stole a little bit of my thunder, man, because I got the same sentiments. It's just that, you know, I see the direction. Um, after, I, I really didn't know after the first, you know, couple games. But after yesterday's game, I really can see – um, the direction, especially with the offense, um, just seeing some plays and um, things. I, I, I think we are a couple pieces away, but I, you know, I'll save that for another conversation. But um, I, I can't speak. And uh, guys, you've been highlighting it all day. Is I just can't speak to enough of how well coached and prepared this team was. And um, although we had a couple penalties, it was still uh, it was refreshing to see the Giants not make. Uh, the critical mistakes that they've that they've made over the years, um, as far as penalties goes, at the end of the game when we kind of need stuff, and um, you know, just all of the time. I, I think as a fan, I've gotten used to the point of of feeling like, okay, yes, we're ahead, but what is it going to be? And uh, you know, not to say that 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 can't happen for the future, and you know, in this season as well. But again, to, a credit to the last caller as well is just that. I, um, you know, I, I just believe in the direction that they're going and uh, just how well coached they were. Uh, and Thibodeau, you know, I wanted to speak on Thibodeau a little bit. I, I got, and, and again, not to put any added pressure on, on this man, but um, I just kept getting semblance of JPP when JPP used to always get these tip passes. So far, uh, Thibodeau's had a couple tip passes over the last couple of games, and I keep uh, um, I, I see a little bit of his motor. I can't wait to see what he really grows into. This is, uh, uh, you know, again, it's his first year, and it's the first year for this whole team. Is what I really want to say. Is I just I'm appreciative of um, the coaching staff, and I really think the success of uh, of this team is going to go off. Um, you know, the the GM Joe saying, I think we need to have um, a couple more, you know, uh, good pieces around us to be, you know, contenders. And, and like the last guy said, you know, this, this year is already a success. We're just seeing some of the, you know, um, the discipline that, the, that, this, uh, that this team is under. And I, I love that the guys are all buying in. And I, I just I really love the show. I've been a longtime listener. 
think this is like, you know, my second time calling in, but I, I really do appreciate the work you guys do. And, and I just, you know, go big blue. I didn't really, um, and, and I apologize. I was listening to Paul. Uh, Paul made a great point um, as far as the, how to play the quarterback situation going into this. And, and I am a little furious. Well, why wouldn't Tyrod just take the slide right there? Like, I, I know it was, it was almost kind of a needed situation, but yeah. take the slide. It, it's just it, you're the last line of defense in that area that we have. Like, and, and I was a big component, a huge component that I felt like I wanted Tyrod to start the season. Um, you know, but, I, again, just, you know, bonehead play. But I think Paul made a great point as to point how to play this quarterback situation. My only caveat, a little twist about it, is just that if you are going to put Daniel Jones in to just run the, the, you know, the, I mean, the, you know, if you're going to bring up the, uh, bring up the quarterback from the starting field, if he's going to be in, then he, he, you know, he should be play the game that's best, you know, suited for him or around him. But uh, again, if he's in, he's got to play, he's got to make throws. So I wouldn't really rely on having to put Daniel back in versus, you know, if, if they're passing. Well, Walter, I don't mean to cut you off. I, I don't think that Brian Dable would play Daniel Jones if he's incapable of throwing the ball against the Green Bay Packers. And he actually said after the game that if they needed to, Daniel Jones could throw the ball yesterday. They just didn't want to put him in that position because the game didn't call for it. But in my opinion, if they assess his ankle and they don't think that he can make all the necessary throws, I don't think Brian Dable then would expose him to that because I think it would limit what they could do from an offensive standpoint. Right. And something tells me they're going to have to score more than 20 points if they want to compete and beat the Packers. And, and believe me, if Davis Webb is, is forced into playing, they'll give him the playbook that helps him win. They will not right. give him the Daniel Jones playbook. You're not going to see him taking off on eight or well, nine Well, he's not runs. a runner. Yeah, like that's DJ, not, so how could you? That's not going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll give Davis what they did during the preseason when he was able to, to move the ball downfield and get some points on the board. And, you know, I will tell you this, though, Caller, and you're right. If you're Tyrod Taylor – you have to know that you're the backup quarterback in the game, the competitor in him, and you love the fact that he wanted to get the first down and wanted to energize the team and wanted to show that he was giving 150%. You love that part of the coin, but that flip side of the coin is, man, you're the backup quarterback. You need to be smart because you can't afford to get hurt. you got to go feet first. And, and ultimately, as a guy who's been in this league a long time, He's got to use the common sense of his brain over the guts and the athletic competitive, competitiveness that was coming from his, his stomach. Now, so I agree with you. Appreciate the phone call. In fairness, though, I mean, just keep in mind, it's easy for us to say that from observing from afar. It's a third and seven play. He's right near the first down marker. I'm sure Taylor's saying to himself, I want to pick up the first down. If I slide, I don't want to give up and be one yard shy. And then all of a sudden... We make it a decision where do we go for it or we punt. So I'm sure that was probably something tells me that was a big part of his mindset, why he was a little bit more aggressive on a running play like that, because he knew it was third down, he was close to the first down yeah, marker. I get if it. it's second down, Paul, I get it. you know, maybe you then take the slide because it. you live to see another down. <laughs> I just I think that played a big role. I in admire what he did. him on one hand because he wants to guarantee getting that first down. I exactly. totally admire that. The other side of the coin, though, is, oh, my God, you know, you can't, Ty Tyrod, you can't get yourself hurt. 
<laughs> I get it. I get it. No, I totally understand. But I do think a man, if that's a first-year player, if that's a rookie or a guy that's really looking to prove himself, I, I lean more towards it's okay. But a guy of his experience and his knowledge, he's very astute. He's a, a very, very, very good locker room influence, a mature player who's been around a long time. He needs to understand that he is the backup quarterback. I'm not going to criticize him for it. I just think it was probably a little bit too much poor judgment. He put himself in a position where he could get popped, and it was helmet to helmet, and then uh, Brisker came in and hit him from behind and smacked him in the back of the head after the ball had come free. I mean, that was nasty. Yeah. Well, and the ball came loose, and who knows? They could have lost a fumble under those circumstances, too, on that play. They were fortunate that the ball was so close to the sideline and that the Bears defender could mm-hmm. not keep his entire body in. So, yeah, there's definitely risk involved. I just I understand why he was aggressive. And, hey, if there's anybody, Paul, that understands the importance of staying healthy, I mean, look at what Tyrod's been through over his I know. two years. I, mean, I know. This guy, every opportunity that has come in front of him, <sighs> he has all of a sudden lost it in the fracture of a second because he himself got hurt and one of it was because of a shot that led to a punctured lung so yeah I don't think he needs a reminder of when you get out on the field that you need to stay there because if Daniel Jones is sidelined you can now have all of a sudden another starting opportunity I think he understands that I think it's hammered in his head I just think football situations took over and he said third and seven we need the first down I'm right near the marker I'm not sliding and giving myself up I think once again I'm talking for him I didn't have a conversation with him but I think if you go back and you watch the film with him I think he'd probably say we needed to pick up the first down and that was why he decided against sliding let's open up the phone lines once again Scott is in Grand Rapids and joins us here on BBKL what's happening Scott Hey, how you guys doing, man? Hi. I'm driving back to Grand Rapids. I was uh, fortunate enough to drive out to New York. Haven't been back home in uh, 20 years, and, and took my wife, who's never been, and we, we watched the game and had a blast. So well, thanks for coming out. Well. Very and, nice. And drive safely. We're we're getting calls from all over the the country today. This is good stuff. By the way, that's quite yeah, a drive yeah. for you, I Scott. I always call you when I'm on my way back from the game, but it's easier this time. You know, the drive back week two from Washington was rough uh, with that. That's a loss with uh, her man, Dexter Lawrence, jumping off sides of the field goal. Uh, but, yeah, this year, I mean, uh, just, just ecstatic. Uh, I mean, and it's easier to critique in, uh, the Giants when they win, right? And, and uh, I think the biggest thing that my, – one of my biggest takeaways is I'd love to see the ball, the ball in the air a little bit more. We signed Galladay, right? It's like we didn't sign this guy because he's Tyreek Hill because we expect him to be four yards open behind the back of the defense. We signed this guy because he's 6'6", he's a grown man, and he's going to snatch the ball out of one of these little 5'10", 5'11", receivers. So, yeah, well, well, yeah. Now, now, he's got, now he's got a gimpy knee, and we don't know exactly the status of him for this week's game. Here's where I will agree with you, okay? No matter how smart the Giants coaching staff has been to game plan and scheme their way to 3-1, and one, at some point in time during what is a very long season – you are going to have to get production out of that receiver's room. And what's happening right now is not nearly enough over the long term if you're going to put up enough W's to be competitive in in, in this division. Well, here's the other thing to keep in mind. The other thing is, remember, they, I think, are also protecting the offensive line given what happened in that Dallas game. 
the Bears did not have a lot of opportunities to touch the quarterback yesterday because they only attempted 16 passes. You put the pass volume up, you're giving the Bears more of an opportunity to get after your quarterback. And that's why the jury is still out with pass protection. We're going to learn a lot more. If they have to throw the ball based on the flow of the game against Green Bay, we'll see where this offensive line is, especially if they don't have Evan Neal or some of their other pieces, because then the Packers are going to have more of an opportunity to attack in pass protection. The Giants protected their offensive line in that department because of how the game flowed and their ability to pound the football. It's not always going to work out that way. So, yes, I'm with you. You definitely want to throw the ball more, because in order to compete with other teams, you're going to have to. But the negative of that is you're going to now have to ask your offensive line to hold up in an area where they've struggled in the early stages of the season. I agree. I agree. And it, it, it is the, the, the two-sided coin, right? And also when they're giving you wide-open looks on naked bootlegs like that, why stop doing it until they show you that they're stopping it? So I'm just saying as an overall philosophy, I'd love to see some of those 50-50 balls go his way, make him earn his paycheck, uh, you know, along with the other guys, right? You know, Slayton drops the, drops the one, granted a little bit of P.I., but, I mean, any receiver in the league needs to catch that ball. That's why you're getting paid – I mean, even at the league minimum, what, eight hundred and fifty grand a year to catch that ball right there. I, so, I'm going to stop you there uh, for a second, caller, while you're on your drive back. And I'm going to tell you, I, I've heard and I've gotten on Twitter a bunch of complaints about Slayton not holding on to the ball on the pass interference. Okay, I get that. The one that made me much more angry, and I'm going to suspect the coaches feel the same way, was the interception. Because let me tell you something. He did not make a very strong attempt at catching that long throw from Tyrod Taylor, which, by the way, was not only a really good throw, but Jackson makes a hell of a play coming over from center field, and Slayton, who sees Jackson in his window coming over to make the play to help out, doesn't do anything to break up the pick. Not only doesn't he not catch it, he doesn't break up the pass. Yes, exactly. Okay. Even if you spear that guy, you see him coming to get it, just tackle him. You, right? you, you can't him let right that interception happen. <laughs> you okay? become a defender now, it, It's bad enough he there. doesn't catch the ball. He doesn't prevent the pick. I'm sorry. That play I made know. me ten times more angry than the one that the public seems to be jumping on. I don't get it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, I mean, I would say uh, I, I like the shot down the field. You know, Tyrod coming out and just taking the deep shot. Love, love that kind of side of it but yeah Slayton could have played it better that happened right in front of me too that's right where my tickets were I was on that side of the end zone so uh you know at the end of the day though uh that's a 50 yard punt so I'm not overly mad at it uh well but here's the thing Scott you know yes it's a 50 yard punt if you look at it that way but it's a lost possession so you know yeah you are basically doing what you would do with your punter but you're losing it at bat you're losing out on an opportunity where maybe you could have scored or done something differently. So it's still it's yeah. not necessarily equivalent to a punt because it's a lost possession. Yeah, one last quick point. I'll let the other callers get on. I was curious. So the Wildcat, man, I'm not opposed to the Wildcat. I actually think we'd have one of the most dangerous Wildcat offenses in the league, uh, especially when Kadarius Tony gets back. Hopefully cross our fingers he's back next week and we don't have to see it. But if we do... Can we please get the one-legged quarterback off the field? Like, why do we have him as a wideout? Can we not put anybody? I'd rather I, anybody, anybody but the but the one-legged quarterback as the wide receiver. He's not even a threat. I mean, you don't even have to guard the man to, to figure out he's not going to catch the ball and run anywhere. 
So I'd just love to see a little bit, tiny, tiny bit of a coach's adjustment. Granted, didn't have to come there. It's a W. We'll take it. I'm happy. I'm on the road. I'm ecstatic. Yes, it's all good things. But let's, let, let's just take the guy that can't play off the field for a second, put in somebody that's actually a threat, even if it's just to keep the corner faithful to, to holding his guy down. Other than that, hey, love you guys. I'll call, call next week. Have a great time. All right, Scott. Well, I mean, you could also argue if Daniel Jones is still on the field, even if he's not a threat to run, he could still be a threat maybe to throw the ball if they pitch it to him as he lines up as a wide receiver. I don't think anyone else is necessarily a threat to perhaps throw the football under those circumstances, and that may have been part of the rationale in having them still on the field to maybe at least keep the Bears thinking, okay, Daniel's not under center. Maybe they have some trickery because here's the thing. Paul, you run the Wildcat whether it's Barkley, whether it's Breida, whether it's whoever it is, they were not showing any threat to throw the football under those formations. The no. Bears knew they were running. You're not fooling anybody, no matter who you throw into that circumstance. So as long as your offensive line can run block, that could be effective. But if you go up against a run defense that has a good read on it and doesn't allow you much penetration, you're not going to have that much long-term success. Because remember, the Miami Dolphins, Paul, right? They love to utilize the Wildcat. It fizzled out after a while because teams got a good read on it right. and they knew how to stop your rushing attack. No, that's very true. Uh, look, if they've got to do it again, they've got to do it again. But I I don't necessarily want to see it as part of the regular repertoire. And I don't okay think that you. they want to do it as part of the regular stuff. I don't think they do stuff. either. Yeah, so I, I don't, don't think, think you need to worry, either. Paul. Something tells me Brian Dable's not going up against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and running the Wildcat the entire game. I, I, I remember one of the Giants coaches, and I don't know if it was Coach Dable or not, said, Barkley runs the ball, Jones throws the ball. <laughs> and they do it pretty well. Yeah. I think I think they should stick to that. <laughs> Well, and also you want to give Barkley an opportunity to get out in open space. You don't want him just coming direct snap out of the backfield himself, right? You sure. want the defense to react. So that's another reason why I don't think that's necessarily an effective tool from start to finish. 201-939-4513, that is the telephone number. Len is in Maryland. He joins us now. What's happening, Len? Hey, guys. How you doing? Hi, Len. Right. Hey, beautiful day at MetLife yesterday. Just absolutely beautiful day. Well, the weather wasn't great, I'll tell you that, but it's okay if you want to spin it that way. Yeah, obviously, obviously, uh, yeah, I'm just exaggerating a little bit, but anytime you win, uh, it's a beautiful day at MetLife. And a nice win, hey, three and one. Um, I mean, you, you, you're you in this thing till at least Thanksgiving Day. I mean, that Thanksgiving game could turn out to be a huge one. I mean, this is pretty good. There's winnable games on this schedule. And, um, I, you know, you guys have just spelled it out pretty well. Just just great job by this coaching staff. It, it, it's just an entirely different team, and they're playing with confidence. Uh, a couple of comments on, on Crowder and Smith, the inside linebackers, and I, I don't want to diminish their performance yesterday. It's not what I'm doing here, guys. But um, when you have a guy creating havoc inside, like Desta Lawrence was creating yesterday. I mean, just outright havoc. Your your inside linebacker should flourish. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's when you get your tackles. When that nose tackle yeah. is just killing those inside linemen, and and they come up and make the plays. You know, when 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 Tay Crowder can keep his shoulders square and play the ball carrier head on, um, he's a pretty good football player. If he's got to turn his shoulders, he's got some problems. 
But when you got an inside, when you got that nose tackle playing like Dexter Lawrence was playing yesterday, it's just absolute havoc in there. Your two linebackers, Smith and, and Crowder, had, had a darn good game, and that's the formula. I think that's why you run a 3-4 defense. The nose tackle just creates havoc in the middle, and your inside linebackers stop the run, and that's what that defensive formation is all about. Hey, Paul, thanks for mentioning that block um, but by the tight end down the field on, on one of um, – Hudson. Uh, Daniel, Daniel Rula. Hudson. Hudson. Yeah. Um, he held, he held that block mm-hmm. for a long time. <laughs> that was mano on mano. That little defensive back, he was going nowhere, Paul. He was not going to get by Hudson. You know when you I'm hear coaches say, up. "Get a hat on a hat," that's what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, and and or another way to put it, Paul. Um, good big people in this game beat good little people. Yes, that's true. That's and, another Parcellsism. <laughs> Good for you, Len. <laughs> well, that, that's another way. I mean, that's just another way to put it. I mean, he was just a bigger guy, and that, that D-back wasn't going anywhere. Um, just, just you know, thinking thinking long-term here, and I'm, I'm past the season, and I shouldn't do that. I should just concentrate on the, the beauty of yesterday. Um, if you sign either Jones or Barkley, you got to sign the other guy. You, you just can't let it go by that way. you got to sign both of them. And we got to figure out how to do that. Well, then, there, there's always then, the tag, Len. Len, 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 there's yeah, always the tag. Yeah, they could use the franchise yeah, tag. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And then somehow, I, I mean, Dex is flourishing because he's playing the position he's supposed to be playing, and he should have been playing that for the last four years. But, hey, now we got him in there, and he's, 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 he's doing just a great job. Hey, um, thanks for your good work. Go Giants. Great day at the Meadowlands yesterday. Just a great day. Thanks for taking my call, guys. Thanks, Len. All right, Len. Let's uh, not worry too much about contractual issues until we uh, get to the offseason. Let's also maybe play the majority of the games before we start debating on what the Giants should do with personnel. We're only four games into the season. We're not even a quarter into the season based on the 17-game slate. So something tells me the front office is not too worried about what they have to do with their quarterback and their running back. They think they want to see a few more games before they start to delve into that. But a good start. Giants capitalizing against teams that have weaknesses. And I think... Paul, before we wrap up here, though, now we're entering a little bit different aspect of the schedule with the Packers, the Ravens, and the Jaguars on the horizon. You've got three teams who, offensively speaking, far more powerful than what they've seen in the last few weeks. So I think we're going to learn a lot about whether or not the defense can hold up against some better quarterbacks. But to me, it's more of what can the offense do. It's one thing to knock off Carolina and Chicago when you score 19 points and 20 points. Baltimore, Green Bay, Jacksonville, you may now have to get into that 25-point, 27-point field. Can you do that? And I think that right now remains a mystery, especially with the current state of this passing attack. Well, final thought on this, Lance, and then I'll let you sign out. You can't even begin to game plan the way the Giants did yesterday with the grinded out and pounded out kind of game plan if you don't have the blocking up front. And Glowinski got nicked up yesterday but came back into the game. Uh, Neal uh, apparently injured his neck at some point during the game, did not return. Yep. So Hamilton had to go in there, and I thought he did an adequate job for sure. But moving forward, okay, 
those are two injuries you got to keep a very close eye on because this very odd for the modern NFL kind of game plan that the Giants utilized uh, is not going to work if you're relying on a bunch of backup offensive linemen. Okay, the only way that this really works, even on a game-by-game basis, is if those guys up front are really stellar in their run blocking. Yep. And that's why those particular injuries, I'm looking at Neal especially and Glowinski, those those guys need to be available. Otherwise, the options the Giants have are reduced even further. Because then, to your point, you can't lean heavily on a rushing attack where you run the ball 30 or 40-some-odd times like they did yesterday, and now you're forced to pass, mm-hmm. and you may not have the necessary weapons to be able to achieve that. And as I pointed out earlier, you then give the opposition a chance to get after the quarterback, and if you have they a, avoided yesterday. And if you have a pocket passer like Davis Webb playing, and Jones is either not in the game or not mobile enough, that emphasizes that exact point even further. Yep. So things certainly to monitor and watch. Brian Dable is going to speak to the media at 4 p.m. Eastern, so stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest updates. Assuming he gives some updates on the injury front, he usually keeps things relatively close to the vest. But we'll start to turn our attention to the London game, Packers-Giants Sunday, and set your alarm clocks, a 9.30 a.m. Eastern kickoff. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It's part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. Back up and running again on Tuesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll speak to you tomorrow right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And hmm. not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.